Morning, everyone. Slash afternoon, depending on where you are. Uh, welcome to the Daily Kofefi on Unsafe Space. Today is Monday, January 27th, and I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as usual, by the bad mamma jamma herself, Carrie Smith. Carrie? Speak to Hi, us. Carter. Good afternoon. How you doing? I'm a little discombobulated, but I'm good. Yeah, have, I'm a little discombobulated a, also. Yeah, I, it's a Monday. I have a hundred things going on, and it's it's like one of those days, you know, where there's like a hun, like all different types of messages and calls and things coming in, plus the list I already had to take care of, and then you're feeling like overwhelmed. But I went and got a coffee, and I listened to Kanye West has a, a new album out called Jesus Is Born, but it's his it's like his Sunday. Uh, choir that's singing it and it was really good it kind of brought calmed me down helped you out good <laughs> yeah it, it helped me chill out nice so you know i realized something the other day carrie that uh because i'm overwhelmed with stuff as, as well and i uh, i realized that uh i think i can't remember a time in my adult life when i haven't been overwhelmed with stuff because i've always been like an entrepreneur doing 18 different things all at once and so like it's always been chaos i'm always stressed out and overwhelmed by stuff so I think you just kind of have to learn to surf the the wave of chaos and be happy with it. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, and, and also I'm getting better at it. Like I cut a lot of chaos out of my life. Each year I cut more of it out, so I'm getting better. It's just that when then I get a little bit again, then I'm like, oh, inundated. But you know, I uh, oh, and hi guys in chat. Hello, thank you for joining us. Hi everyone. If it's your, fir- if it's your first time here, we should say before we just start talking. Welcome to Daily Confuffy on Unsafe Space. We do, this is a daily show that we do uh, on Mondays and Fridays are the only days that currently that we do it live. And you're welcome to participate with us in chat. And uh, if you have topics you want us to talk about, I have a couple things I want to talk about today already. But okay. um, but I want to share this one personal growth thing that, in case it helps anyone else. <laughs> Please w- share away. I woke up this morning in this mood, like I'm talking about, you know, kind of like, ah, it's too much to do and I have this list. And first of all, apologies to anyone who sent me stuff to read or watch or respond to or people that I'm supposed to be setting up an interview with for the podcast. There are a lot of you and I'm getting to the list this week. It's happening. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just overwhelmed. And my personality type is such that this isn't some humble brag, but I have at any given time, I have 30 or 40 unread messages in my Facebook messenger. It's not because... I'm popular is because people want to or like the podcast, which is awesome and want us to talk about certain things or get opinion, our opinion on certain. And that's amazing. And I so appreciative. Don't stop sending me stuff just because I'm complaining. <laughs> the point is it sits there for a while until I get to go through all of it. And a lot of these things are not just simple responses. It's like watch this video or read this link and it's all really great stuff. It just takes me a while and I have my, other stuff I'm reading and doing in my life and I have to work a job also. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry guys. And, um, and I will get back to you, but then, but then this is the personal growth moment. I woke up kind of feeling overwhelmed and, uh, and someone from my real job, I guess I could just say that my job job wrote me something and that made me, I was like, ah, oh, all indignant. And I snapped off this really rude response. And uh, and then, I, you know, like we're human, right? And I, I was all like, ah, oh, I was in my I was in my pain body, as Eckhart Tolle would say, 
like how dare that how dare this person how you know and I went to take a shower and I was like thinking about it and I said a prayer about it and I realized oh I'm the asshole here <laughs> sorry for the cursing <laughs> it's like oh you're being a jerk because you feel this way and this way and this other thing happened and yeah you might have a valid point here or there but overall you're in the wrong here you should apologize so I did I feel better anyway good for you <laughs> it's a good time in the shower to self-reflect yeah okay yeah. well that's all that's I I am um... I think you. Uh, I think you have so many messages because you're popular. I'm going to go with that explanation. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, um, popular. That makes I will me sound say, like a mean girl in high school. You what? That would make me sound like a mean girl in high school. Were you popular? I, I have a feeling that you no, were like more of. A I was nerd not. I was school. the geeky girl, and yeah, I was the nerd. Yeah, yeah. We would have gotten along in high school, kind of. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, we would have been. It, I didn't become an SJW until college. So there's just like a period of 20 years where we wouldn't have gotten along, and now we're getting along again. That makes sense. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I do not need messages. Katie Porter just said, all oh, Carter needs messages too. Uh, Katie, <laughs> no. no Car- I love you all. Uh, I do not need <laughs> messages in, in any inbox at all. This is not a humble brag, but because of other business stuff I do, I literally have two or 300 email messages a day on various accounts. There's no possible way I can get through my emails. I like... I do not need more messages. I do like people reaching out with ideas and stuff, but you don't have to reach out to me. (laughs) There's there's other ways. I'm not your best vector. Yeah, Um, you can reach out to me. Continue to reach out to me. It's fine. But the reason I get them is because I'm on Facebook. I waste a lot of time on Facebook arguing with people. I'm on there a lot. Carter's actually editing videos and trying to get unsafe space off the ground. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have been spending a lot of time on like behind the scenes stuff so that yeah. we can start to be a well-oiled machine, but the behind the scenes stuff like you don't see and it's not paying off yet, but it will. Don't worry. Yeah. Um and Epistivist, uh you and I are going to have a chat later based on that little message you just sent. Bad. Bad Epistivist. Um all okay. right. <laughs> uh I have so I have something I would like to discuss if unless you have a burning desire, could I go first? I have no burning desires. I would love for you to lead today. So go ahead. Okay. So as you know, and as a lot of our regular viewers will know, we've covered, so my old ideology, which SJW ideology, this kind of identity politics based form of Marxism, that's very popular and in vogue right now. um, My old ideology has infiltrated into a lot of different spaces, including obviously academia that's where it started um but you know entertainment the church um social media companies every little place it could seep into it's seeping into the knitting world knitting crocheting on instagram we've covered this we did done a couple videos on it we did a great interview with um maria tuscan which was so much fun and uh who sometimes participates in our chats she was um, brilliant and one of the, I would say the the courageous people in that in the SJW knitting wars who um, you know courageously and with soft softly spoken word refuse to participate in the to- the toxic like mobbing that hap- that happens in, in when SJW ideology takes over. Um, so we've covered this before. There's a new thing happening in the SJW knitting world. And Maria sent me a little something about it this morning and I checked it out and it, I got the, I got the bug and I tried to write these guys 
an Instagram comment, but I had so much to say it was too long. It wouldn't post it. So I took that as a sign that I should do more of what I said I'm going to do more writing on Medium. And so I posted it as a Medium article for our unsafe Good. space. Good. Yes. Yes. And so I would just Wait, like, do I need to go press any buttons on, on Medium right now for you or no? Probably. I haven't hit the unsafe space thing yet. I'm not sure. Let me just, we'll do it in a second. But yeah, but here, let me, let me introduce you to this story, Carter, because this is uh, a good one. I'm going to share my screen with you. Um, let's see. If you guys aren't familiar, this is the beginning of a new pile-on that's happening in the knitting world. It's a couple, I think it's two, two uh, men, James McIntosh and Dr. Thomas Ernst, a couple. One of them was suffering from depression. This is if I'm getting any of the broad strokes wrong. Someone correct me in chat. Wait, is this different than um, the other guy? This is not sockmetician, no. That thank you, sockmetician. It's no, not sockmetician. No, these are two guys who. Uh, one of them, he was suffering from depression, and he used knitting to pull himself out of it. And he wrote a book about knitting and mindfulness, because mindfulness is a great it's a great tool for pulling yourself out of depression. Oh, but he wrote, was the book and, not sufficiently woke? Was that the problem? No, no, wait, wait, wait. The book is called Knit and Nibble, N-I-B-B-L-E, and it's a book about knitting and cake. There's recipes for cakes and little snacks and stuff because oftentimes you would snack while knitting. Okay. It's a book about mindfulness and knitting and, and cake eating. Here's what. Here's why. It sounds good have. so far. I'm, I'm it sounds good so far. Okay, uh, I'm gonna share my screen now. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I'm still learning how to do this on a. Okay, start sharing. There we go. Okay, um, let's see. Let me make sure that everyone else can see it. Can that's you guys my, see this? That's my job. Hold on. Okay. Yep, everyone can see it now, I think. Okay, here's their Instagram. Knit Nibble. World award-winning book. James McIntosh and Dr. Thomas Ernst. Bring you Knit Nation. Knit Nibble. Knit McIntosh. Knit, et cetera. Okay. They went on some talk show. The show itself is called How to Lose Weight Well. So the show is a weight loss show. Now this is this makes me think of uh, just first reaction without knowing the details. When you're promoting a book or an album or a comedy tour, whatever it is that you do and you're promoting it, you'll get let's say you put out a press release for your project, you'll get random press requests from outlets that may not exactly fit, but you find a way to well, I guess I could talk about the book in this way, right? If they have right. these questions. Right. You're so you're it, on a marketing tour at this You're on a marketing tour. Yeah. Right. So his book has cake recipes in it. It's clearly not a book about losing weight. It's not called How to Lose Weight. It's nothing about losing weight. He, But he goes on a show about how to lose weight, and, and they promote it as such. And there's a picture here of him and his husband uh, with some knitting needles in the book and the host of the show, who's a black woman. And it says – the show's called How to Lose Weight Well, and it says, Can Knitting Help Weight Loss? And so apparently during this show, they asked him, and he said something like, Well, I guess – even though it's a, it's a sedentary activity, you're sitting there, but you are moving any type of movements better than none, I guess. Right. <laughs> so, so because he went on a show about weight loss and answered a question about weight loss, he is now a white sexist, a racist, sexist, uh, fat phobing, slut shaming, probably transphobe, who knows? He'll be called all of these things eventually. <laughs> and so, uh, there are people here in the comments, the mobbing has begun. And it, it's clearly being posted in places so that all the SJW cult members know to come here and to mob them. Uh, look at all the just fat phobia, fat phobia, fat phobia. 
um, this is gross, uh, shame on channel four, uh, white dudes and their hashtags. Okay. Here's the first racial reference I've seen, but that there's going to be more of that. You know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to shame him for being a man and for being white. of course, even though just to point out, he's on a show hosted by a black woman with, this is where all this is happening. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But, but you know, white guys and their hashtags. Am I right guys? White dudes yeah, and their hashtags. Damn white guys. <laughs> um, so, okay, fat phobia, fat phobia. Now, that's the easiest thing to get them on because they went on a show. It could be any tactic, but because it's a show, they went on a show about weight loss, that's the thing they're going to be um, called to the carpet for because it's the easiest one. But, you know, out of all the different SJW things, that they're, but they're also going to attack their race and sex. Just trust me. Um, so now it's been a day or a few days, four days. So now we're on to the part where people are like, now questioning, when are you going to take the knee and apologize? Here we go. So when are you going to show up and actually do something about this gross mess? When will you, when will you take responsibility for this SHIT take? Or are you just waiting and hoping this will all die out? Um, okay. Wait, now wait, can talking, I, wait, can I, yeah. clear, can I ask a question? Yeah. Are they, so they haven't responded yet. This is just the pylon has started and they're saying like, what you like demanding apologies. Is that what's yeah. happening right now? Yeah. That, so that's the phase we're in. We're in the phase of you haven't apologized and groveled yet. I see. I see. So it's and, been four and, days. And you haven't done that yet. Okay. So the next thing we'll find out is whether they're idiots and they apologize and grovel or whether they know to play this, they know not to play this game and they don't. I don't mean right. idiots. I just mean if they're naive and they think if they're naive, apologizing yeah. will help. Right. So uh, I wrote a piece, and I probably need to make some edits to it, and we're going to put it on the Unsafe Space page. Can you see this? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. You're knit and nibble. <laughs> and I love how you have, like, I mean, we kind of, we're both kind of aware of the knitting community in a way we weren't before, but you've just, you've dove right in, Carrie. This is good. Oh, I, I, because here's why. It's one little microcosm where people have... It, again, this has happened in all kinds of microcosms. It's happened in uh, comic books and gaming and, you know, church, anything you can imagine. But the knitting echo chamber, the, knit, the knitting microcosm, this little world um, is one that I've seen where people have started fighting back. They're getting over their fear. And so that's encouraging. So I like to get in the mix here because I'm like, yes, pushback. And, you know, when, when Maria and... Tuscan Tuscan knits went through this when um, Sockmetician went through this when uh, a, a bunch of the ones who ended up apologizing and capitulating went through this like the girl the woman who wrote the blog about going to India there was there wasn't there was no one to push back for them you know what I mean they were kind of on their own these little figures and so now it's like I, before before we this is a this guy we're about to see are they going to apologize or not so i went to put my voice in there and i i really this started as a just a simple comment but it wouldn't post so i was like oh crap i gotta write an essay so <laughs> here we go and okay, wait, let me put it up again for everyone hold on okay okay go ahead you're knit nipple an explanation of the sjw knitting mobbing you're about to experience okay you're probably how, wondering how you ended up here <laughs> <laughs> I just I just wanted to tell them, here's what's going to happen. Like, we know. There's a mob of puritanical authoritarian bullies in the online knitting world who viciously attempt to spread their ideology via pylons of impotent rage at anyone who achieves any level of success without bowing and genuflecting to their cult. Congratulations, you've drawn their ire 
and resentment because of your success, because you don't hate yourself enough to their liking, and because they don't control you yet. Here's what you can expect. This has happened many times. So I linked to uh, Catherine Jepson Moore's piece, and I want to link to a couple of her other ones. Yeah, it's a great piece, yeah. Yeah, I put in um, two of our videos, and I put in Sockmatician's video. Um, But here's the the anatomy of the pylon of what's going to happen. First, they'll share your profile in this photo around the internet and call all call on all members of the cult to let you know what a pile of garbage you are for going on a silly TV show to promote your book about eating cake and getting over depression and encouraging other good habits through knitting. Right. The tactic they'll use for you specifically will be fat shaming. Okay, d- let me skip on down. Uh, they'll accuse you of this sin. They'll eventually also bring your sex and race into it. You'll be shamed for being male, white, cis, thin, able-bodied, etc., and you'll be accused of racism and sexism by the people who are making this about your race and sex. Da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> uh, you'll be asked, no, commanded to apologize. Apologize for your sins. And then I go into their two options. Oh, good. Okay, You're going to teach them what to do. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> if you apologize, you lose your self-respect. And you will always be owned by them, part of their cult, and expected to genuflect and apologize and modify your language and behavior and business and personal decisions according to their edicts forever. Your coerced apology won't be enough. It will only be the beginning. Because this is not about a real apology or a real conversation or real interaction. It's not even about real sins. This is about control and power. They want power over you because they resent you. They resent your success. They resent that you don't already modify your speech to reflect their ideology. And they resent that they don't control you yet. If you don't apologize, the mobbing will continue for a while. They are going to try to harm you financially and emotionally. They'll contact everyone you've ever worked with and tell them that you're fat phobic, harmful, a racist, a sexist, a transphobe, a bully, and problematic. They'll probably do this even if they do apologize, but yeah. Oh, they will. Yeah, they will. They'll write blog posts about you attempting to lend legitimacy to this smear of your name, and they'll self-reference these blog posts in their emails to your business acquaintances, friends, family, and media outlets. They'll call you harmful while trying to harm you. They'll inundate you with abusive messages and try to convince you that the only way for all of this to end is for you to bend the knee, kiss their ring, offer their demanded apology, and submit to being, quote, educated, as if that's what they're doing, educating If you end up emotionally and financially devastated, if you end up on suicide watch in a hospital, they will gloat. They will call you a liar. They will show up at some of your public book signings, side note, like they did to Sockmetician, to harass you, scream at you, cause a scene, and then try to have you removed. Oh, this this is supposed to be Sockmetician's video. I have to change that. Uh, They'll justify this attempt to censor, censure, damage, vilify, libel, slander, harass, intimidate, hurt, and bully you by gleefully proclaiming, there's no freedom from consequences. (laughs) Some of them will know in their dark little hearts that they are truly the bad guys in this story, and they won't care because they enjoy hurting others and stewing in resentment. Others will have convinced themselves that they are the good guys in this story, for that is the only way that they can justify this behavior to themselves and engage in the cognitive dissonance required to act with such hypocrisy. I understand why some capitulate and fold and bend over and make the apology and then pick up the pitchfork and join the mob that was attacking them. I do. But here's hoping that you'll be one of the courageous ones. Nibble. (laughs) Follow your heart. You know who you are. You're going through a small fire now to make you stronger and sharper to help you grow into yourself. These are paper tigers. They will blow away once they realize their magic words won't work on you. Courage. 
Nice, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you. So I would love to have you write more often. Um, I would love to write more often also. Uh, But we've been very busy. But um, I love love it. I think it's a great article. And uh, let's get it up on Medium ASAP. I know it looks like you want to edit a few things. But after the show, we'll get it up on Medium ASAP and and we'll tweet out links and stuff. Deal? Okay, that sounds like a good deal. Right. And I and and just a point, somebody in the chat, Kent says, do any of them really admit that they're the bad guys? In their heart of hearts, some of them do. They won't admit that openly, no. But some of them know they are. Absolutely. The ones with bad intent, they know. Tina Fisk bought you a coffee uh, for four bucks, by the way, so we should thank her. She uh, also didn't realize, though, she was awesome. She was like, oh, whoever wrote this article really gets it. Um, Yes. Oh, Car- thank you, Carrie Tina. wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading my own piece because I just wrote it and I'm, I'm excited and I really want these people to yeah I just Uh-oh. got a notice it said resume okay oh no 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 it's coming back it's coming back you don't like the piece <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> they hacked the connection <laughs> Oh man, yeah, but I I I just got really inspired. I think we're by back. It. Hold on, I want to make before we keep going. Can I, are we back? Mhm. We're back. Okay, we dropped. I got a little notification that the stream had ended, so I don't really know what happened, but I think we're back now. Okay, cool. Okay. I don't know where we dropped off, Carrie, but. Well, uh, I was just saying I got inspired to write this and I'm fired up about it because because they're at that important um, crossroads where we don't know what they're going to do yet. Are they going to apologize and bend the knee and be owned by this cult or are they going to be one of the courageous ones? And so I just I really I wanted to get this. Ah, like, I hope you do this (laughs) like like you're not alone. And and maybe they, they don't know anything about this and and they're getting inundated with the the SJW mob right now. So hopefully they'll get some positive messages too, that tell them like, you're going to be okay. Like yeah. This is, yeah. when you're in the middle of one of these things, I'm sure it feels like, and I haven't been in the middle of one. I'm just, I'm just guessing, but you know, we talked to Maria who, who's been in the middle of it and I'm sure it feels like overwhelming. Uh, it probably feels bigger than it is because it's so many people. It seems to be so many people, but they're just loud. They're just loud and they're cultists and they're organized. And so um, it may feel like it won't end unless you do what they're telling you to do. And you may be naive enough to what this ideology is and what their tactics are that you think apologizing will fix everything and it won't. So I hope they hear some words of support, but that's it. Yeah. And they should talk to Maria probably. Um, Yeah. And others, right? Um, Yeah. So... Yeah. Well, Carrie, uh, that was a great story, by the way. Um, thank you. Thank, and a great, great article, I guess. That's what I meant. Great essay. Okay. Um, you're kind of reminding me, uh, this is, it's not, it's not the same thing, but it's, uh, it's not the same thing, but it's I guess, related to social justice craziness. So I kind of want to bring it up. Have you seen this, um, tweet by uh kate alicia do you know who she is no okay let's see if i can pull this up so kate uh 
first of all, she wrote this book called No Way Out. Um, here, I'll put the book up here. Kate wrote this book called No Way Out. It was about, it's her, it says, No Way Out, My Terrifying Story of Abuse at the Hands of a Vile Sex Ring. Okay? So she was one of these victims in the UK. One of these grooming gang victims. And she wrote a book. This book came out a while ago. Um, back in 2018. But recently she shared this. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this letter, which I, I can't believe this happened. But okay. well, I guess I can. But uh, here, wait, let me find the exact link because I don't want to get it wrong here. But here we go. No, maybe that's not the exact link. I'll, I'll read it. I don't know why I don't see this link. Sorry, guys. Um, she wrote, uh, she, when she um, got a letter from her publisher, she wrote her book, and she got a letter from her publisher about the grooming gangs in her book. And I'm just going to read the letter for some reason. I don't know if she deleted the tweet or not. I can't tell, but I've got a copy of the tweet here, so I'm just going to read it. Um, she says, when I wrote my book on grooming gangs, this email I got back from the publishers telling me I couldn't use the word racism wow. to describe okay. what happened to me. Oh, I found the tweet. It's not gone here. Wow. <laughs> right? They're probably, let me guess, they're going by the new SJW approved redefinition of racism. Right? Exactly. So here's what they say. Hi, I guess Kate, although maybe it's a different name. Maybe that's her pen name and she's got a real name. So she blacked it out. Hi. Sorry. Can I just add one other thing I'd love for you to address in the manuscript? It only comes up a handful of times, so should hopefully be quite easy to sort out. A few times oh. you describe the outlook slash actions of your abusers as racist. There's quite a lot of discussion at the moment about whether or not white people can be victims of racism. The <gasps> argument being that racism is a social issue based on the systemic oppression of a race tied up in social and economic issues. So facing discrimination for being white isn't the same as facing racism. Let's read that again. Facing discrimination for being white isn't the same as facing racism. I wow. think these statements could detract from what she's saying, so it would be best to remove them. So that was, uh, that's what she was told. And actually she wrote back, uh, I'm sorry, but this is a sensitive subject and it's quite frustrating, really. Maybe we can discuss the meaning of the term racism. <laughs> um, and then she goes on, like, they hate our culture. What should I call them? Uh, I think they called her a name based on race. They called her white something, I forget. So, but she writes back, but of course they don't, they don't care. Um, she, she's a wrong thinker. She used the word racism and they didn't want it. I thought that was uh, quite upsetting. Wow, that is very upsetting. So what's happening with her book? Well, it's out. I mean, I see it on Amazon. I'm actually, uh, I didn't know about it, so now I want to go order it and try and have her on the show. So that's my next, uh, the next thing on my agenda is to order the book, read the book, and try and get her on the show to talk. But um, I would love, I would love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just yeah. so let's just be clear. For I know we've talked about the grooming gangs in the past, but uh, this is a woman who was um, sexually abused at the least, probably raped. Um, by a gang of, quote, Asian men, as they are want to call them in the UK. Um, one of the gangs that was ignored by the police for fear of being, uh, the police were afraid of being accused racist for going after them. 
Uh, and she, being a white girl, uh, was one of their victims. And apparently they used racist or slurs, racist slurs against her. But she's not allowed to say that the attacks, you know, thank you for being raped. Just don't call your accusers racist when they, because they used racial slurs against you. You can't actually, uh, you can't actually be a victim of racism. I, I don't. They are such um, hypocrites, by the way, because, well, first of all, this is absurd. It's clearly racist. And this new redefinition is bullcrap. I don't want to say BS, but it's BS. Yep. And uh, it's a bunch of nonsense. The idea that, the idea that what is racist is defined by what race you are. <laughs> That's such a racist. Well, racism is in the definition is defined by what it depends on what race you are. No, that's a racist idea in and of itself to say that a, a certain race can't be racist or that another race or a certain race, uh, it's impossible to be racist towards them. That is such a racist idea. I, it, it makes me laugh because once you're out of it, I mean, I used to preach that crap, but I, once I, you're out of it and you look on from the outside looking in, it's just hilarious. It's kind of hilarious because it's the definition I mean, of, like, do you know what I mean? Yes, it's hilarious, except that we're talking about little girls getting raped. So oh, it's yeah. infuriating no, no, no. at the same time. That's infuriating, but I have to laugh at, take, I'm taking that aside. The, their re redefinition of racism is hilarious. The, yeah. the, the definition of racism is defined by what race you are. I mean, it, it's, it's yes. yes, it's hilarious because... It's also it's just hilarious to me also that they they say that with a straight face and and think that that's like like a rational person just supposed to nod and be like, oh, yes, oh, that makes sense. Like it's it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. It's something yeah. that an insane person would have yelled from the window of their asylum a few decades right. ago. But now uh, but we're now expected to like, take it like it's fact, like it's fact. And somebody in chat says this feels like yesterday's news because the one-sided redefinition of racism has been a core component of SJWLD. Yeah, but that doesn't make it yesterday's news because, as you see, it's affecting things today. That this woman in her book is not allowed to uh, – that their problem with her book in describing the systematic rape of young children by, by gangs of men that went – Unnoted. Well, no, it was noticed, but went unreported and, and uncorrected and unaddressed by the officials in Britain for so long that their problem with this account of what happened is that she uses the word racist to describe the attitude of some of the men towards her. That's their issue. Like that's that's so uh, this isn't old news because it's so mainstream. Like that's it. It's old news that, yeah, we were preaching it. I was preaching it 20 years ago, this um, this BS redefinition of racism equals prejudice plus power or sexism equals prejudice plus power. Yeah, that's at least 20 years old. But, but it wasn't mainstream then. It's become mainstream now. So now you've got it. It's, it's infiltrated major institutions. It's infiltrated the culture to such a degree that you're seeing stuff like this happen now. And I don't think this would have been imaginable 20 years ago. An editor wouldn't have sent that note 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, and I think I think you're right. The other thing, though, is like, um, we've talked about 
the reason we talk about culture and and I like to talk about philosophy even uh, is that you know there was the there's the Andrew Breitbart saying that uh, culture is up upstream from politics. So this is you know um, why culture is more important. I, I think philosophy is upstream from culture, but these things take time. Like this is. Um, you could argue that basically everything that we're going to talk about is old news for a while because the ideology has been festering for decades and decades and get decades. It's just, it's just its tentacles are reaching farther and farther every day and it's becoming more mainstream and you're seeing more and more of this kind of stuff. But um, there's nothing new in this ideology. That's absolutely an uh, accurate observation. There is nothing new in this ideology. It's just yeah. uh, the more crazy elements are becoming more mainstream and... We're just seeing it. We're just seeing it manifest more. But this isn't this isn't new. Um, and even you know, even though some even the more recent quote conclusions or the recent crazy ideas that are maybe a decade or two old, even they're not really new. They're just natural extensions of something that's fifty or a hundred years old. Like the, it's this is yeah. a um, yeah. This is a cancer, not like a traumatic injury that's happened to our culture. We didn't get in a cultural car crash. We've had cancer for a long time, and it's in the system, and it's metastasized, and like yeah. that's what we're dealing with. So um, you're going to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I I uh, I like that she made these conversations with her editor public because I think you have to you have to expose it for every time you see it. It can't you know. Like somebody said in the in the chat, you have to call it out every time you see it. You have to point out what it is, because there's so many people who are um, who are being, I would say, who are being blinded to it, who are being indoctrinated, who are being hypnotized, and so it's like the emperor has no clothes. You're you're required. I think you're required to say, "Hey, the emperor's naked, guys. Like, <laughs> look at this." Yeah, this is this is crazy. Look at it. Um, yeah, I mean, and we I touched on this the other day, but uh, again, I don't want to. I'm not trying to judge people who don't speak out for fear, like legitimate fear of losing their livelihood. Like I totally get that, but um, you know, it's up to it's up to all of us to push back on this stuff when we see it. It's up to the, it's up to mm -hmm. us. Like culture is this kind of integral of all of the expressed ideas and norms of everyone in that culture. Like you've, if you don't express your disapproval of something, then that's what allows it to fester. Like if you don't, if you don't push back on people, uh, they feel like that they're moving in the right direction. And so they continue to move that way. And all they hear is praise from the people who, who praise them. So you need to push back, right? People, people need to yeah. push back on this publisher and that kind of thing. So uh, it's important. It's really important to push back. Even if you feel like your little pushback isn't doing much, collectively, your pushback is part of uh, the defense mechanism that culture has against cancerous ideology, which yeah. social justice is a cancerous ideology. Yeah. I want to answer, I want to address a question in the chat, Carter, if I may. Yeah. Um, Jane says, I don't understand why intelligent people go along with it. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh Tina answered her and said, it's wanting to be liked. No one likes to be seen as a bad person. Yes, I agree with that. I would, I would also say, um, it's an emotional response. It's, it's, it's the Jonathan Haidt idea that we've talked about before of how the way that we think and reason and the way that we're motivated and is, is sort of, you can think of your 
you can think of your mind as being an elephant with a rider and your emotional mind's the elephant and your rational mind's the rider, but the elephant is what's guiding the rational mind a lot most of the time. We like to think it's the opposite, but it's not. Um, and it's the same way with this. You can have a really intelligent person with a really intelligent rider, and all that means is they have they have at their service a really intelligent rationalization machine. I was going to say that it can make it worse because they could rationalize yeah. away things much better than someone dumber. Yes. And so that's why you see um, in this, there was a study done, the, one of the only studies I know of about the roots of or the psychology behind this ideology. It's a study by um, one of Dr. Jordan Peterson's grad students. I believe her name is Brophy. I've mentioned the study before, B-R-O-P-H-Y. And she did a study on um, uh, P, what they called it in their study, P PC ideology, P political correct ideology. They called it PC authoritarianism versus PC liberalism. And the two types, I would say, roughly are, are two different types of SJWs. Um, the authoritarians they found are not as verb, they're not as articulate. They, they're not, they, their IQ isn't as high, I think. They're not as, they, they don't have as, uh, what is it? They have lower rates of um, uh, verbal cognition. They're also, um, they have a higher disgust sensitivity, like authoritarians on the right. There's a lot of different, interesting differences between the two groups. But the PC liberals are very articulate. And I would say, it's, it's you're asking, how can intelligent people believe this stuff? They're the ones who have at their disposal this the the ability to to rationalize this, rationalize this, try and make it sound academic, try and provide the intellectual justifications for the authoritarian's behavior. Like they try to make it all work in your head. They give you what you need to do the mental gymnastics to be able to treat people in a racist way and say that you're doing it because you're against racism or to treat people in a sexist way and say that you're doing it and believe that you're doing it because you're against sexism. So that's my, I guess that's my answer. No, that. I, I think you're spot on. And, uh, you know, you got to remember intelligence is, um, a good analogy is intelligence is just, uh, it's, that's how fast your engine can go in your car, but it's not really, it doesn't tell you where to drive. Um, so intelligence is not morality. Um, it obviously someone who's moral and intelligent has the best of both worlds, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're moral. It doesn't mean and a lot of people's like Carrie is saying a lot of people's choices are driven by their emotions, not their intellect. Their intellect mm -hmm. is just how fast. I mean, literally, even though there's lots of aspects to IQ, they're all correlated to G, which actually is correlated to. Your literally your reaction time, like you can you can get an approximation of someone's IQ by testing how fast their physical reaction time is, pressing buttons. So, like it's it's literally just speed. It's not. It, it doesn't mean that you apply it well, and that's I think that's one of the reasons that I care so much about philosophy is because um, philosophy is kind of a great equalizer. If you're taught solid good philosophy, if you understand. Um, moral foundations well. Uh, philosophy doesn't have to be super hard. Philosophy's not hard. I mean, the intelligent people have made it very hard so that they can 
sit around and smoke pot and contemplate the existence of the ceiling and, and write <laughs> papers on postmodernism. But actually, philosophy is just how to live, and it's, it's a, a moral and ethical code, and it doesn't have to be that complicated. It should be something you can teach a five-year-old. And so um, less intelligent people, people with engines that are slower, should be able to do very well in life and perform very well in life and not make a lot of dumb mistakes based just on having a good understanding of philosophy, which is why it's really important because we're not all geniuses. And even those of us who are, if we're, if we're going the wrong direction because our morals are screwed up, um, you know, it, it doesn't, it just means we get to hell faster. It doesn't help us. Yeah. It just means you get to hell faster. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and people in the chat, you guys have a lot of great feedback on this too. Like Jason's talking about um, the big five personality traits that might make you more susceptible to this ideology. Higher openness. Yes. Yeah. Higher neuroticism. Yes. Yeah. So women on average are higher in neuroticism. Uh, you know, the, the, some of these things, I think, I think that's why you see more women in it, honestly, than men. But, um, yeah, no, you're right. Um, it is, it is driven by, and you know, we don't, we don't have to get into all the big five stuff, but, right. uh, big five personality is, it's basically the only empirically derived, uh, method of categorizing personalities. It's not perfect, but it's the best we've got kind of so far. And, um, it's a good tool for figuring out how that elephant is going to function, right? <laughs> it's that yeah. elephant. It's like, okay, well, what's the ele what's going on with the elephant? Like, that's kind of the big five. It doesn't give you a lot of information, but it does give you some information. Um, and like you're saying, Carrie, there's certainly personalities. Uh, there's certainly traits that if you're high on one end of that trait, you're more likely to be susceptible to stuff um, than on the other. And so... Um, you know, the also the other thing I want to say is um, low res boy mentions even philosophy is in jeopardy in universities. I, I would say uh, philosophy is not in jeopardy in universities. I disagree with that. Philosophy has been good. Philosophy has been absent completely from universities, almost completely for your entire lifetime. Philosophy was the first thing that went. Um, and the reason it went first was because no one paid yes. attention to it. Right. The first thing that they did philosophically was that the 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 bad guys, if you want to think of it in a like bad guy movie kind of thing, like what the bad guys did was they convinced everyone that philosophy was this heady, esoteric, impractical, irrelevant field that we could all kind of sit around and think about, but didn't have any practical implications. That was the first thing they did. They undermined the importance of philosophy. And once that was done, it opened up philosophy departments to just spew garbage and have garbage PhDs and, and do research on crap and sit around thinking about every kind of convoluted theory they could possibly throw into there. And no one cared because it didn't matter. Philosophy wasn't viewed as something that actually mattered. The problem is uh, the other humanities departments do look to philosophy and to buttress their ideologies. And so all of that crap philosophy, all the foundations built on crap philosophy that out, were allowed to fester and and grow are now used as as foundational elements of really, really evil political idea and social ideologies that are out there. And uh, it's not that philosophy is at, at risk at universities. Philosophy has been, like, good philosophy has been 
basically absent completely. It was it was the first thing to go. So um, that's that's my opinion on that. Uh, by the way, since it was Lowrise Boy that asked, I'm going to address, address Lowrise Boy uh, directly. Lowrise Boy, you offered us some music for uh, the intro. I'm going to take you up on it. I'm going to go to your YouTube channel. We're going to we're going to use some Lowrise Boy songs for hopefully by Friday. That'll be my goal. So. Cat, um, uh, the Aspie in chat says, self-hatred and poor mental health has got to be a part of it. Wanting to change the world rather than changing yourself. Yes. That's absolutely a part of it. It's absolutely a part of it. It's this, um, and that's also tied up with what Jason was talking about, about how, uh, how your openness and your empathy can be used against you and make you more susceptible to this ideology because it's like you see someone in distress. Oh, they're in distress. They say they're in distress. They must be right. You know, that's what he said. You right. know, oh, I've got to go protect them. I've got to go defend them. And so, what are the ways I'm going to defend them? Well, this they're handing me this belief system and saying, this is how I must do it, right? And it is. I think there's something about it that is attractive, especially if you have unresolved personal issues. If you're not completely um, living consciously, well, who is completely living consciously? But, you know, the more, the more unconsciously you're living, I think the more attractive this is on some deep level because it's a distraction from working on yourself because it's about working on everyone else and working on the world, you know, and I've given this, these anecdotes before, but some of the, not all, but some of the most hardcore SJWs I know are also some who suffer from the most untreated mental health, I would say problems. Um, one of whom I've talked about, like I, who lives in like a hoarder in filth, like complete filth. And uh, I, I can't imagine how you wait. Like I, the more clutter around me, the more I feel like my mind is cluttered. And so, and I definitely have a tendency. I'm like one of the clutter types who will leave like piles of books and papers and things like that. But um, to get to a level of where there's like a hoarding where there's just, you know, I can't imagine how oppressive that feels. I think it's a, I think if you're living like a hoarder, if you're living in garbage and filth, that's a, that's an outward uh, expression of what's going on with you internally. It's it's giving us a peek into what's happening to what's going on in your head, to your problems. Like some people's problems, they wear them on the outside and other people are really good at disguising them. But anyway, so so I, I'm not saying, oh, I should use our hoarders and all them. I just think of this one person I know who's like the most loud, vocal on social media, just completely over the top, you know, little, a crusader and and then I think of the way this person in their private life what they're living with and not addressing and it's just amazing to me and it and that helps that makes a lot of sense of it for me yeah, yeah. like that that person is wholly focused on changing the world because that's what matters right not about like getting three-month-old garbage off the floor or out of the kitchen sink or you know yeah well, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think Jordan Peterson is popular because he focuses on, on, you know, changing yourself and even a lot of psychology. You gotta, you gotta also remember that psychology is, is pretty nascent as a quote science. So there's not actually a lot uh, of psychology that's um, useful. Like some of, some of it is, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of psychology that's good, but um, 
you know, it's very, very nascent as a field of study. And so uh, I think I, you know, I being in California, I know people like this, Carrie, you probably also do where like their therapy is not actually meant to fix them. It's just a uh, it's just a crutch that they kind of go lean on. It's like it's a it's a way to feel better about themselves um, continually without actually fixing underlying problems. Yeah. Um, similar to how social justice might make them feel better without actually focusing on their hoarding problem or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I do want to say um, the uh, the person who brought me the story about uh, the grooming gang stuff was Kent, uh, who's in chat, and he asked a question um, about. Uh, he said he's seen me rail against pragmatism in the past, and he's wondering what I have against it. So I just let me just explain it really quickly. Um, what I don't like about pragmatism is that uh, is as fundamentally is the underlying assumption. Um, the, the assumption that I reject is that there's a difference between. Um, you hear this kind of phrase a lot. Um, you ever heard the phrase, well, it works in theory, but not in practice? Have you ever heard yes. that phrase, Carrie? <laughs> yes. Right. So if it works in theory, but not in practice, um, your theory's wrong. Uh, so the reason I don't like pragmatism is it presupposes that um, there actually isn't any uh, coherent way to approach reality and that you just have to do this kind of trial and error. It's kind of this whatever works mentality. And I think the purpose of philosophy is for living on earth now. That's the purpose of philosophy. And philosophy should be help you, helping you in reality, in real life, with your own psychology, your own happiness, contentment, success. It should be teaching, it should be helping with morals, like actual real life situations. Philosophy should be should be practical by its nature. Good philosophy is practical. And if there's a philosophy who is, that is not pragmatic also, if it's not also workable, then it's not a good philosophy. It means it doesn't relate to reality. Relating to reality is, is the number one requirement for good philosophy. And if it doesn't relate to reality, then there are edicts that don't work practically. Um, so what I don't like about pragmatism is, I think it's a backwards approach. It's kind of this like, um, well, this kind of works in this situation, but um, pragmatism is not going to work long term because it never can look at a kind of an integrated whole. It's always viewing situations in isolation. Um, so it can't really integrate your entire psychology and figure out what will work long term for you and people around you. And it, it can't really answer questions of, of right or wrong. It's just kind of what works. So it's lacking morals and it it presupposes this this dissonance between good theory and good practice. And I think that one of the one of the worst things to happen to philosophy in the you know in the West is this assumption that um, all of these ideas of philosophy are interesting but not practical. You gotta philosophy is because because that's what that's what moves philosophy into the, like only academia and out of real life by saying, well, yeah, philosophy is fun to think about when you're high, but uh, you know, we, we got to just do practical solutions. We can't let philosophy control us. Just as an example, philosophy can't enter the boardroom. Boardroom has to be very practical. No, philosophy actually can enter the boardroom if your philosophy is based on sound moral principles that are tied to objective reality. That's what I don't like about pragmatism. And, and pragmatism allows anything to happen, right? Mm. There's no more. Thank morals. you. Thank you for that. 
I know, I know I get nerdy about philosophy, sorry. No, I get it. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I mean, I think this, this is kind of what I think about, uh, not just philosophy, but, you know, a lot of the stuff in the Bible, like as a Christian, a lot of stuff Jesus says is that it's that thing I come back to that I've told you before about like the wisdom of, of certain, of things that, that as an arrogant young person who, who thought I had to figure things out on my own and figure out things out the hard way. And then it's like, Oh wait, these aren't just, this isn't just, these aren't just biblical teaching. This is this is these are pragmatic. <laughs> like, don't lie is a good <laughs> pragmatic rule of thumb. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't covet. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, um. As an atheist, uh, let me say the distinction that I I draw a distinction between religion and philosophy. Um, but I really mean good philosophy because most, most quote philosophy out there is crap. So like, I, and I think it's a distraction from actual philosophy. So, um, right. but I view religion and this is the atheist thing. And this, and I'm not trying to be offensive. I just, this is right. how, why I appreciate actually Christianity and, and how I view it. Um, I like when you explain the way you think, so go ahead. Okay. Uh, I view religion as a, um, <clears throat> I, I view religion as something where humanity, through trial and error, figure out, hu- figured out heuristically a bunch of things that worked and didn't work for keeping society together. And there's some obvious things, like murdering people doesn't work. Okay, great, so that's a clear <laughs> law, right? Um, and, then, and then societies needed some way to transmit this information. Um, and and religion was a great way to transmit this, transmit this information from generation to generation and instill the importance of this, these, this information so that people would, would pay attention to it and care about these rules. I view the, the purpose of philosophy is actually to be um, an actually integrated system, which religion doesn't require integration. It is a set of rules, um, and, the, and the set of rules and guidelines are they're they're quote integrated. They're they're kept together as because they're coming from a, a deity, and so that's what unifies them. And philosophy's job is to unify that unify rules and moral guidelines um, through reason, evidence, like in a secular way. That's philosophy's job. Now, granted, ninety nine percent of philosophy has failed miserably. Um, in fact, has attacked the very morals that we know are true. So this is one of the things that like, if philosophy, if you have a philosophy and you conclude in your philosophy that, that murder's not wrong, that's when you go back to the starting point and you're like, well, we know that's wrong. Like that's one of those heuristically thing in derived things that has shown up everywhere in every culture. So if, you're, if your theoretical system allows for murder, you screwed up somewhere, go back and think about your <laughs> theoretical system. Something's wrong with it, right? So it should be something that's integrating everything and it shouldn't be wildly different from shared religious mores because those are in, those are kind of heuristically derived and actually have demonstrated real value um the, well at least the, the religions that have lasted for a long time mostly that's yeah. all thank you i know what i like is that no what i what i like is that your beliefs about religion and the what you call the heuristically der- derived truths or yeah. uh, that, that 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 can coincide coincide along with belief, my belief. Do you know what I mean? I don't I don't find them mutually exclusive. That's why I don't 
that's why I like hearing you talk about this stuff because it's not, um, somebody posted in a group I was in the other, the other day, it was like, uh, I don't know, one of these silly mo- mocking things about the Bible, you know, about how, un- I, just some silly thing about, you know, these, un- what they viewed to be unrealistic stories. And then it said, ask me again why I'm an atheist. And it's like, I never asked you in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> I never asked you the first time. I didn't ask you the first time. And yeah. that's not the kind of conversations we have. And that's not what your atheism is about. Like that person's atheism to me, that person's atheism is a religious kind of atheism <laughs> where they're going out and proselytizing to me about their atheism. <laughs> they're really kind of arrogant. Ask me again. I did it. Stop coming to my door and telling yeah. me about your atheism. <laughs> well, you know, in fairness, um, I used to be, I used to call myself an evangelical atheist, Carrie. Um, <laughs> I used to be that guy. <laughs> Can you imagine if, if we, if, if who we, you and I used to be at different points in our lives did this show, like back when you were an evangelical atheist <laughs> and I was an evangelical SJW, can you imagine us doing the show together? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we would have maybe agreed on atheism, but zero yeah. else. <laughs> Gosh. But, yeah. Would have, and that would have been an awful, what a boring show. It would have been an awful show. Okay. But you know, uh, Carrie, the... This is one of the things that I think a lot of the atheists get wrong, and I think probably why I, I get along with you, um, and, and frankly get along with a lot of Christians now, is, um, you know, I used to think that the most important thing for me was to, like, convince people that God didn't exist, because I really still think he doesn't, right? So, I like, I, it was very important that I convince people of that. Um, mm-hmm. But what I was missing why? was... Um, like why? Why do you think that... Why was it important? Well, that's a good question. The main reason was um, I I do think truth matters, right? Fundamentally, truth really matters. And so, and for me, um, recognizing or be- becoming an atheist like had very positive impact in my life. So it's kind of like why you... Almost like why you would save people's souls, right? It was like, no, like truth really matters. And I looked back and saw a lot of bad things that religion has done. And there have been some bad things that religion has done. Um, but uh, the the issue was... What I didn't consider was... Uh, there are a lot of good things that Christianity in particular have transmitted through society. And... Uh, if all I do is run around convincing people that God doesn't exist and I'm not actually helping them see a rational alternative that that gives them similar morals, then I'm really just destroying the, the like moral fabric and the culture of our society and it's going to be chaos and horrible. So like actually I'm less interested in convincing people now that God exists or doesn't, but I'm more interested in convincing them that these moral ideals are important. And if you want to use God to justify them, I don't think that's the, the best justification. But at least you're, we're going to keep society together because we're working on the same moral ideals that are very important, um, that have kept society together. So once, look, if we get back to a society where individual rights are respected and um, truth matters and and like a lot of the things and you know a lot of the 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 morals that we agree on are because are regular and they're part of culture normally and they're mainstream then we can sit around and argue about god but like 
right now we need to save ourselves from utter nihilism, which is happening all right. around us. Well, I think that, um, I don't know. Well, obviously I don't think that as a Christian, I mean, you know this, but I don't, I don't think that, uh, Christians are merely justifying their beliefs in these heuristic truths or moral truths with a belief in God. I mean, that's not the way I view it, but, but of course we're going to view that differently. Right. Right. Um, I get that. Right. Uh, but I think for me, maybe the reason why, okay, I'm, I'm going to say something, you know, when we first started doing this podcast and I, I told you, you knew privately as my friend that I was a new Christian, but I wasn't really talking about it on the podcast. And then you outed me. <laughs> did, wait, did I actually out you? Yes. Ah. We were in a, we were in a, a video and you said something about, you know, Carrie, I know you're a Christian. And I was like, whoa, thanks for outing me. And then <laughs> but it was, no, it was fine because, um, because I think part of the reason I, I wasn't talking about it before then was because uh, I am still going through this transformation. And I also, I don't, I don't want to speak from a place like I know, like a place of authority or arrogance or any kind of, I don't know anything. I'm figuring things out, right? Like, and so, and so I don't want to say, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I put it that way. I'm very, I'm very particular or I'm try. I've tried to be very particular with my words the past couple of years and choosing the words to represent what I really believe and, and think to be true and to say exactly what I mean. And I'm trying to do that consciously. And so because I'm so much of spirituality and faith and religion for me is still, a, it's still, it's a continual searching so it's not like I can speak with the, this affirmative authority on a lot of things. I can, I can a few things, I think, but, but not a lot. And so um, I'm building up to this point being, you mentioned something about how like uh, the, the type of atheist for whom it's very important to convince people there's no God or to tell people there's no God. And you compare that to Christians for whom it's very important to convince people there is a God. Well, for me, and and some Christians may probably get mad at me saying this or whatever, it's not very important for me to convince people there's God. And maybe that'll change in the future. But for me now, it's not because I don't think that's uh, even, I don't even think that's, I don't think of that as my job or my goal as a Christian. Right. I believe if God is going to work through me, he's going to work through me because I'm trying to live according to the way I believe he's told me to live in my prayer or walk with him or talk with him and that, that him working through me is him working through me. And it's not me consciously going, Oh, I'm going to go out and convert people, you know, and I'm going to go and talk to them about God. And, and I don't, so I don't do that. I don't like, like with you, we've never had a conversation where I'm like, Carter, I fear for your soul. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I, have I ever tried to like, talk you out of no, God? I don't think so. No, you haven't. So it's that mutual respect there of like, yeah, I feel like if somebody is going to, um, if, if, if there's, if there's, if I'm going to aid them in some way in getting, becoming closer to God, it's not because I consciously am like, let me go and teach you, tell you about, you know what I mean? It's just about how it's just, maybe they'll see something the way I'm acting or behaving or whatever. And that opens something up for them. But it's, but, uh, I don't have a burning desire to go out into the world 
and again, maybe this bothers some people, but I don't feel like it's my job to go out into the world and be like, let me convert you and tell you about the God that I believe to be real and to be the, the creator. So yeah. that's where I'm at right now. That's a long and rambling thing. I guess I'm just trying to articulate the way I view it right now. So be an example of Christ. Tina says, yes. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, they, thanks like, for letting me like, indulging me. I'm still thinking through some of that. Cause I've been talking about it outside of the podcast too, or thinking about it a little bit. And, um, and, uh, and, and so it's something I'm still thinking through. Sometimes we engage in somebody had a negative comment on one of our videos about something stupid I said. And I, and I was, I can't remember what it was, but I was like, yeah, well, you're also watching us sometimes, especially in the live podcast. We don't go back and edit or anything. You're watching us engage in thought in real time. So I hope you have a little bit of forgiveness with that because engaging in thought means being vulnerable to like put yourself out there and sort of, um, you're, you're, articulating things that you're not fully supportive of yet. You know, like I'm kind of like thinking as I'm talking and trying to, I am trying to arrive at what I believe as well while I'm in the process of talking through this with you. It's not like me. It's different from a person. We're used to people just making pronouncements all the time, you know, instead yeah. of thinking out loud. <laughs> yeah. I would say even our, even our pre-recorded Kofefi shows are, um, not really about presenting a, I mean, sometimes there, there are issues that we've thought about, obviously. So if social justice comes up, this is something you've thought about a lot and you have a, you have conclusions that are, that are more solid, but, uh, Kofefi generally, we just are both working through things. And part of working through things mentally is, um, proposing an idea out loud and then thinking, and then trying to poke holes at that idea yourself in your head and think, oh, oh, maybe that's not exactly right. Maybe I have to change that. Maybe it's not that. Okay, I'm going to propose a different thing out loud. That's part of that's part of the mental process. And if you're afraid to be wrong, you're never going to get anywhere. So yeah. I, one of the things I like about these conversations with you, Carrie, is just like, I, similarly, I'm just working through stuff a lot of times. I mean, yeah, yeah. I've got, I, I have spent a lot of time thinking about a lot of issues. So for many of the things that I talk about, I'm pretty sure, but there's a lot of times where I'm just speaking extemporaneously and reacting to something, and maybe later I'll be like, ah, maybe I didn't say that exactly correctly, but, you know, that's okay. This isn't, you know, if we're going to say something that is, if we're going to make a video that's like a pre-recorded presentation about something, then you can expect that it's better thought through, but um, yeah, I think... I want part of the idea of this is part of the even the name unsafe space. This is a conversation. This is where you can say things that you maybe maybe they're offensive, maybe they're wrong. It's okay. You don't have to be in a special little safe space where you're only allowed to say certain things. It's the opposite of that. It's say whatever and no one's going to like it's weird cuz it's actually safer than a safe space on college, but it's like yeah. <laughs> you're allowed to air you're allowed to sin here. That's okay. Oh, uh, yeah. You're allowed to sin here. And you're allowed to not be ideologically pure all the time, no matter what your ideology may be. You're allowed to just make mistakes and, like, figure things out. I really just have to laugh out loud because somebody in the chat, I don't know what he's responding to, but it just made me laugh. Blackbeard said, the Lord is working through this troll, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what troll he's talking about, but I just started laughing. Hey, look, no. I think the Lord can work through trolls sometimes. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. I don't know. I, there was something else I wanted to, to talk about related to that, but I totally lost my 
thought there. I know. So I took whatever. I took you off on a wandering path. No, no, it's fine. Um, <laughs> it probably wasn't important, and maybe it will come back someday. But whatever, um, we can we can do it later. Jesus had his trolling moments too. <laughs> yes, yes, I think he did. See, uh, Doctor Rachel Fulton Brown, who we've been honored to be able to talk to on the podcast before. If you haven't seen that interview, you should check it out. Um, she, she's, I've heard her write or speak or write about this a lot about, um, cause she's a big fan of, and friend of Milo Yiannopoulos. And she talks a lot about his role as a troll. Yep. Like what and the he value. played, he, and the value of trolling, mm-hmm. he wears many hats, but one of his hats is as a troll. And, um, and she was, she's talking about how I've heard her talk about the value of trolling as a way to expose truth, like good trolling is actually exposing it's used to expose truth. I'm not talking about someone being mean. Troll is now taken on a new definition that doesn't, I'm not talking about someone who's being mean or harassing. I'm talking about someone who's being funny, even if it's a mean funny, but using humor and satire and baiting using baiting to You're reveal talking about signs that say it's okay truth. to be white. Yes, for, that's a great troll, for example. The signs that say it's okay to be white, that's a great troll. They're funny. They're a bait. And when people take the bait, they expose a truth. The truth being that the people who take the bait don't actually believe it's okay to be white. Right. <laughs> that's what makes it a so, good troll, right? That's a great example yeah. of a troll. They're, in the definition of troll, it should say, okay to be it's white. It's okay to signs. be white. <laughs> right. That's it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Carrie. Should we, um, anything else we need to talk about? Oh gosh. Yeah. We've gone on quite a, quite a, a bit today. I got excited about, yeah. Good trolling's like comedy traveling pack says, yes, it is. Um, we got it. We got quite kind of carried away today. So I didn't realize it's already been over an hour. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I, uh, I did want to talk about something else. So it might take us on a bit of a tangent, but just, I guess I guess I'll say it because this is a, it. this is a horrible tragedy. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know if you saw in the news, but um, the whenever there's a celebrity pass away, there's like a lot of um, focus on that. And uh, Kobe Bryant, of course, and his 13 uh, year old daughter died in this tragic helicopter crash, along with um, some other children and, yep. and parents who were heading to a basketball practice and. Um, it's awful. I can't in in a moment. Like life is so unpredictable and so short. Like don't take it for granted, you know, because you never know. Like in the in this in a second, this woman losing her husband and child. It's just unimaginable to me. Um, yeah. You know what? It's but, funny. But, I thought the same thing. I was, it was. Uh, I thought like, oh my god. I think her name is Vanessa Bryant. I'm not sure. Something is it V? Begins with the V. I'm not sure, uh, but but I I thought like what a like how all at once. I can't imagine losing your, your spouse and child like that. Like in, in a second like that. Yeah. And, and the way they found out I, I heard was awful, which was the press running with the headline before her family, before the family had been notified. Oh my they found God. out. They found out from TMZ. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Um, but, but, and, and, so, other, and the other families too, not just their family. Yeah, but, all the know. families found out that yes, that's awful. But, but so, but so in addition to that, I was thinking about, and this is probably something when I was in SJW, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I would never have thought this or said it, but I noticed that, uh, the president Trump, 
the president did a tweet or two, offered some messages of condolence, right? Yeah. And, and that in his comments, there's just all these hateful people, uh, some of them posting, sharing screenshots of negative criticism that Kobe Bryant had, had made towards the president, right? Well, here's what Kobe Bryant thought of you, you know, and here, and it just struck me as like, wow, like what a dark little obsessive, hateful heart that you can't let go of your hate for a moment to share any type of condolence, to be united with this person that you hate in one simple emotion or one simple expression of condolence, even if you hate him so much that you don't believe he's honestly, that he honestly believes or feels this way or whatever. Even if you believe, if you, even if you hate him so much that you think it's all, he's doing this for show, whatever you might think about this person, you can't suspend your hatred enough to just leave it and just be united in your grief in grief or condolences or messages of support or empathy. And that just was mind boggling to me. Yeah. You know, that bothered me. I saw someone on Twitter post something like that as well. And, um, the analogy that I'll draw Carrie is imagine, um, imagine you're going to a funeral to support the widow and, and, and you, cause you care about her and someone shows up at the funeral also, ostensibly to support the widow saying nice things to care about her and you choose to start a fight at the funeral about that other person and their motives or how much the, the dead person didn't like them i mean you're it's 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 insulting to the family to be yeah. petty about that like i don't it, in fact i remember i think it was chuck schumer or someone had posted some condolences uh uh, to Kobe's family, and I, I remember reading the tweet thinking to myself, oh, I, I really don't like Chuck Schumer. I can't stand anything about him, but that was nice, and I agree with that sentiment, and, like, yeah. I know he has to say it because he's a politician, but, like, even, maybe he really, he probably really felt yeah. it, like, you there's know, nothing, I, I get it. Yeah, there's nothing to say there to him, even if you right. don't like Chuck Schumer. Right. There's nothing to say to, there's nothing hateful that that you should feel in your heart to want to say to a message of condolence. I just don't believe that. When I was an SJW, I was the opposite. It, I hated George W. Bush the way that people hate Trump. If George W. Bush had offered a message of condolence, and he probably did, I don't know, if he had offered something positive or loving or any expression of empathy or because I hated him so much, I would have to do what these people are doing and, and I would have to attack him because I, w I couldn't allow myself to view him as a, a fellow human who could express condolences to someone that I liked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's but that's what a it lack is. of empathy for the victim, for exactly. the widow and the family. It's a lack of empathy for everyone. It's you being, yeah. it's like you justifying your hate is more important than being empathetic towards the widow, the family, the the person you hate, the all of it. It's just such a weird thing. Anyway, I was noticing this, and it was like, I I just kind of was thinking about it a lot, and I was thinking a lot about how I used to be and how I used to react to stuff like that, and how I would have I would have been one of those people in the comments, like, sure you feel that way, Trump. What about blah blah? You know, like I would have been right. that nasty, horrible person using someone's death 
to attack someone I didn't like. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, the other thing that not to be, I don't want to say any, like, I don't want to be controversial, but the other thing that, that struck me, and this is just, I don't follow basketball. And so I don't, I don't really know much about Kobe at all. Um, but honestly, like I, I was more upset. I was more impacted by hearing that like 13 year old kids died in this, this helicopter crash. Children. I know, I know Children. he was very loved and famous and it's always tragic when, when someone's life gets cut short and he was, I think only 41. So like, yes, but, uh, it's the kids that really, that really hit. Um, it's hearing about the kids and imagining a dad as a dad, um, of a daughter, not quite 13, but still as a dad, imagining like being on a helicopter with my child and knowing we're going to die with just, that's what killed me. Um, you know, but yeah, well, all of it, it's like, it can't even, it just, it's an awful, awful thing. And I, and I don't understand people who can't take a moment just to like, it's okay to be it's okay to be united in a, a a human emotion like empathy, even with someone you despise. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay, that's all. That's all. I well, say. thanks, Carrie, for really bringing us down at the end of the I'm show. Sorry. Yeah, appreciate. It. Uh, that's a but that's a positive message though. It's okay to be united in a human a common human emotion with someone you hate. That's a positive yeah. thing to say. That. Well. And it is a reminder, and this is what I like about the ancient Stoics. Um, and so I've said this before, but I'll explain it again. Uh, it's, it's something that I don't do all the time, and I'm not a Stoic, but it's something that I um, don't do all the time, but I do do sometimes when I, when I remember to do it. Um, they would once a day, they might have done it more than once a day, but the habit I was uh, trying to get in was like once a day, usually at night, um, to contemplate what it would be like to lose um, the people that you love to lose your spouse, to lose your kids. Um, and it sounds very depressing, but, uh, the purpose of it is not to depress you, but to really help you appreciate how fleeting life is and how, um, how much you really appreciate and love those people. And when you do that, when you're in the habit of, of remembering or like of imagining, like, this is what it will be like. Um, and, and, it, it sometimes can really spur you to be um, more affectionate, um, a, a better father, a better husband. It can, it can spur you to really not take them for granted because um, tragedy can strike. And, you know, I don't believe in living every day as if it's your last because that's stupid and there's no long-term consequences in that way. Like, that's not a good way to live. But it is good to remember that... Um, you know, the time that you have with your loved one is loved ones is short and they could be taken away from you or you them uh, at any at any moment and cherish them and treat them well. And, you know, have your when you say goodbye to your kid or spouse in the morning, have your last words be something that are that are good. Um, yeah, because, you know, you never know. And it doesn't mean to wallow around in fear that stuff like this is going to happen. That's not the way to live your life. But to really appreciate what you've got. And it, to me, that practice makes me really, really appreciative. And so um, yeah. I, I highly recommend it. It, re- it reminds me of, I saw um, Mike Cernovich posted this thing yesterday that I shared because it really 
resonated with me, um, which was, uh, and I'm going to read it. He says, we live as if life is ordinary and we must. Bills are paid and obligations are made as if tomorrow will come. The world would collapse if we always live truly in the moment. Sabbaths are how we balance the ordinariness of living with the extraordinariness of what God gave us. And so even if you're not a Christian, you don't believe in God or, you know, you don't believe in the sab- keeping the Sabbath holy. Um, I know that you, Carter, agree with this sentiment because we talked about it in that episode on the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we the, did. And we talked about yes. like the importance of like Sundays and what to do with them. Yeah. Yeah. Sundays or pick another day if you don't want it to be Sunday. But, you know, one day where you like Cernovich is saying where you, um, you know, the bills must be paid. We have the ordinariness of daily life. We have to act as if life will go on because we have to, you can't live every day like the world's going to end or like you won't be here tomorrow. But there's something I think really healthy about every week, having a day set aside that you connect with something deeper that you connect with, you get back on, you get back aligned with whatever your purpose is, your meaning is you, um, ideally for me, I want that day eventually to be a day that I don't work. I want that day to be, and I want it to be the Sabbath for me. I want it to be the Sunday, but I want it to be a day I don't work. I want it to be a day that I, um, either don't use social media and devices, or I use them very sparingly, like very, with very specific reason. Um, I want it to be a day that I connect, that I go out and connect with nature like that I do something outside. I want it to be a day that I, um, that I go to a, go to a service if I can, some type of service. I want, I, like, I, I want it to be a day of just reflection on all the big picture stuff that we don't have time for during the week when we're dealing with all these, like at the very beginning of the show, we're talking about all the things I have to do in the list and, blah, 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 right, blah, right. and the tap dancing, yeah. you know? And so it's really good to reset once a week and think about what's important and what is my, What's the meaning of life? And am I on, on the right page? And that's like living consciously. That's like, hey, bring it back to knit and nibble. That's like what his book is about, presumably, based on what I read. That's about living um, consciously and mindfully and um, and just, you know, bringing it back to self-reflection and introspection and making sure that 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 who you are and what you want, the way you want to live isn't getting lost in all the d- busy details during the week, you know? Yeah. That's how people get into like really dark places is when they don't do that, when they yeah. don't check in with themselves periodic, right? You know, they're just living unconsciously until they don't even know who they are anymore and what they're doing. Okay. I'm rambling. Goodbye. No, no, guys. no, no, you're, you're, okay. you're right. And, uh, <laughs> okay. no pun intended, but yeah. I'm not religious about it in that way. <laughs> However, uh, I do think periodically it doesn't have to be Sunday. It doesn't have to be all day for me, but usually is on the weekend. Um, I, I think it's important to have those moments of introspection as well and to reconnect with purpose and meaning. And I'm an atheist, yeah. but um, similarly, we all need meaning and purpose. Um, and we really all should be focused, uh, part of something that should be important to all of us is self-growth. And you can't have self-growth without self-knowledge, which requires introspection. So um, putting that time aside uh, is is super, super valuable. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, Maria Tuscan asks if there's a name for my particular form of atheism. She says it's almost exactly like Christianity, except without God or Christ. <laughs> um, it's not, I mean, it's not exactly like Christianity, but uh, no, Maria, there's not, I, and maybe there's a name, I don't know. Um, Let's I, just call it Carterism. No, I, 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 I no. definitely don't, I do not call, call it, it anything associated with my name. 
Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I have a, I have a fear of, of that kind of thing, but, um, I will say my path here was, um, and some people already know this, but I grew up, uh, I grew up a evangelical Christian. Like I was actually in like a little cult, basically <laughs> like really crazy evangelical Christian. Um, I became an atheist through Ayn Rand, through Ayn Rand's writing. And so um, I read a lot of her nonfiction and I was an objectivist for a really long time. And I think she, um, I think the underlying philosophical tenets of objectivism are true and correct. Um, however, I when you look at the objectivist community, uh, they I think they get some things wrong that Christianity gets right. And the more I talked to other friends who had were objectivists, we all started to kind of come to similar conclusions about objectivism and some things that were maybe not exactly right or uh, some some applications of the philosophy that weren't exactly right and some things that were left out. And um, my therapist at one time was a guy named Nathaniel Brandon, who if you're into objectivism, you'll know who he was. And um, I remember he was like one of Ayn Rand's prodigies at one time until she threw him out of the group or whatever. Um, but he sat me down and he said, uh, this is when I was like kind of coming out of objectivism. I do not consider myself mm. an objectivist anymore. Um, but he said, you have to understand when Ayn Rand says she doesn't know anything about psychology, believe her. Um, and she did. She said she didn't know anything about psychology, and she didn't. Um, and so where where I think there's a lot of failures of objectivism is has been in the application of psychology and in the failure to recognize uh, some of the, the larger, uh, I'll say, cultural and societal stability elements of Christianity. And so, um, and, and objectivism really doesn't care about children either. Ayn Rand never have kids. Her kids weren't kids weren't in her novels, and so as a parent, uh, there's a lot missing um, ap application wise there. So now I just think of myself as a I'm just a rational person. I just strive to be. We're not all right. I strive to be just a rational person. Um, I like my my dedication is only to a particular epistemology, which is reason, reason and evidence. That's my epistemology. Where it takes me, I don't know, but that's it. And so sometimes it, I think it's taken me somewhere and then someone presents evidence or an argument that changes my mind on something, but that's the end of my philosophy. It's reason and like reason, <laughs> reason and evidence. That's my epistemology done. Um, and where it's taken me obviously has been almost not a full circle, but it's brought me back to appreciation of a lot of elements of Christianity, which you've heard me express today. That's the end yeah. of my explanation to Maria. Sorry, it was long. It was good. So we're going to we're gonna wrap this up, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today for the live chat. Uh, we'll be back with Daily Kefefe tomorrow, although it won't be live tomorrow. We'll be live again on Friday. This is your m reminder that book club is coming up. You have less than a week now, or you have a week. It's uh, Sunday, February 2nd. We're doing live discussion of uh, Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. 
And so you have a week to cram and read and we hope you join us. If you're, if you're not in the video and you just want to be in the chat, you can do that. Send an email to speak at unsafespace.com and Carter will give you details and a link closer to the date to join us for the video chat. Um, if you're watching, just please hit the like button on this video. That helps us. The more likes that we get, um, I presumably, I know they've messed with the algorithms, but, <laughs> uh, hit like, if you like this video in particular and want to share it, we would love it. If you want to support us uh, and support the show Unsafe Space financially, we have subscribestar.com and just look for Unsafe Space. Um, and uh, anything I'm missing, Carter? I think you mostly got it. I will say, Carrie, I accidentally finished Fahrenheit 451 this weekend because it's actually quite short. And yeah. I had a big, thick book. And it turns out like half of it was commentary. And I was like, oh, I'm only halfway done. And then it was over. And I was like, oh. Uh, so you have plenty of time to read it between now and Sunday. Super easy. And the, Go read it. And and Tina points out the audio book is only five hours long, so you can listen to it as well if you want. Yeah, yeah. So also, um, don't forget to subscribe. Sometimes YouTube unsubscribes people. So even if you think you're subscribed, verify. Hit the subscribe button. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Carrie had everything. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Anything else, Carrie, or is that it? Uh, Gracie, who goes by Embarrassing Mom on YouTube, she says, I see one dislike. Yes, Gracie, that's the YouTube employee who watches us every week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Soon there'll be a whole department worth, worth of dislikes, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, YouTube employee. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, bye, guys. <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone. Take care. We'll see you, uh, see you tomorrow.